Welcome to All About APIs. On this podcast, you'll hear from seasoned API practitioners, product leaders, and architects on what it takes to successfully design, launch, and maintain APIs that unlock new growth opportunities. Hello and welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for joining this exciting new episode of the All About APIs podcast. I am Buddha, your host and product evangelist at Tyke. Joining me today is my favorite co-host, friend and colleague, mm-hmm. Sedki Boshamala. Hello and welcome, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Really good to be here. I'm excited to speak with you and Tom today. Wonderful. Before I introduce Tom, um, throughout this season, we have been exploring different aspects of API-led product growth as well as product-led growth and what that means, the different nuances around it, some of the challenges around it. And uh, extending that topic a little bit more today, we're going to be exploring something really, really interesting, which is going to be web hooks and how they lean into um, product-led growth in the modern API stack. So to tell us all about it, we have Tom Hakuen. Sorry. Tom, Hakuen, yeah, that's sorry. Good. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got it right. Okay. Uh, so to tell us all about it, we've got Tom Hakuen from Swix joining us. So hello and welcome. It's a very, very warm welcome to have you and great to have you with us. Uh, thank you. Great to be here and looking forward to chatting. Uh, one of my favorite Wonderful. topics, APIs. So, yeah. I mean, we are pretty much on the same boat then. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> thank God we love APIs because otherwise life would be a little bit too boring <laughs> and trying to do this podcast. But it's really good to, to have like-minded folks here on the podcast. And we've had a few of those. Uh, so really excited to take this forward. So maybe let's kick things off a little bit. And uh, Tom, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and we can kick things off from there. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've loved computers ever since I was young. Like I started coding when I was nine and that got me like, you know, back then everything was very much hackable. So that got me into security and then all the cool kids doing security were using Linux. So that got me into Linux. Um, and especially, you know, back then, but also to an extent nowadays, if you're using Linux, you're into open source software. Uh, so that got me into the world of open source software. I did quite a bit of work there. I was actually like shortlisted for the Israeli Free Software Awards, like really open source oriented. I was in the Israel intelligence, kind of like then like led a team at Samsung, did like a lot of like always dev tool focused to like serving other developers. Um, and then a year and a half ago, I started this company. Uh, we do webhook sending as a service. Um, and yeah, and I think that's kind of like what led me to this conversation, I guess. Um, Perfect. Awesome. Uh, really excited to talk a little bit. There's there's a lot to unpack there as well, because I think there are some really, really interesting things that we're going to be delving into. But just setting the scene for today, I think obviously the topic that we are really going to be focusing on is how Swix and webhooks essentially are powering the product-led growth situation in uh, modern API stacks. So but the challenge sometimes is that just thinking about APIs and webhooks, sometimes they seem to be used interchangeably. Sometimes there's a bit of a confusion when to use which one and how they essentially work, the similarities, the differences. So maybe we can kick things off with that. And could you tell us a little bit about you know what webhooks are and what is the similarity or perhaps difference when it comes to APIs as we know them? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I always consider webhooks as part of the API, but, you know, it's sometimes confusing. So I sometimes, as well, as you said, interchangeably use them as, as part or as non-part of the API, uh, depending on who I'm speaking with. Uh, but webhooks are essentially how services notify each other of events. Uh, so if something happens on service A, they would send a webhook to service B. Usually service B would be an API consumer of service A, but it doesn't have to be. Another way like to look at it is kind of almost like a reverse API. So if API goes one direction, 
this would go uh, the other direction. Um, but as I said, they're a big part of the API. Like this is how, like otherwise you have to pull, you know, pull the API provider, or like you have to have like other things to make sure that you get the latest data. And with webhooks, it actually makes it like almost real-time interactive kind of sense, uh, which is great, I think, for many cases. Absolutely. I think um, the, the interesting bit there, I think you mentioned reverse APIs, and I think that's something I've seen as a terminology being used quite a bit. Um, but typically, I think the main difference that I've, I've found is when you talk about APIs, I mean, the, the ultimate objective there is system-to-system -system communication. You're essentially trying to do that in potentially different ways. And the the traditional APIs, if you were to talk about it that way, is, is a little bit more based on the request-response model, where you know someone is making a request, and you're getting back a response. Whereas what, obviously, the, 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 the challenge with something like that is when, you know, states are changing over a period of time, or you have to wait for information, then you might have to resort to something like polling for information or asking for information over and over again till you potentially get the right response or it, it achieves yeah. a certain state at, at which point you want to get that response. Whereas with webhooks, it seems a little bit more um, event driven, like you say, I think there is there is some action that happens. And I think that triggers something out. And I think that's where webhooks uh, typically come in. So quite curious in terms of maybe an example that people might have seen in the wild a little bit more, um, if you could share one to just, you know, clarify that a little bit. Yeah, I'll share even more than one just to really like paint a full picture. So if you, for example, use Stripe, uh, the payment provider, they would usually send you a webhook when a payment has failed or when you know fraud was detected or anything like that that is actionable on your end. And you maybe need to email the customer or maybe even go on a call. Another example is uh, Gmail will send a webhook. That's how the CRMs will know that you got a new email and they need to update the last, uh, you know, like last contacted field in the CRM. So, but it's really just everywhere we can think about that something happens outside of the API and you need to, and the consumer of the API needs to know about it. Though that's where like webhooks will shine. Perfect. Setki, your experience, you've obviously played a little bit with webhooks as well as APIs and all different sorts in that sense. So um, you know, anything to add there in terms of you know what you what you've seen in the wild in terms of the uses of webhooks versus APIs, perhaps? Yeah, I, I think Tom explained it perfectly in my experience a webhook is used to connect more than one system as he said so if i'm integrating with any finance provider if i'm buying bitcoin and i place the trade i need to be notified that my trade went through so i can update my systems and, and so on the webhooks for me solves a real problem in allowing the connections between two separate systems to become asynchronous because as tom alluded to the alternative is quite ugly so what is the alternative it's essentially to have polling as one option which is a drain on resources uh the network overheads your egress and ingress costs and more a second option is to set up a WebSocket listener, but unfortunately, WebSockets just really don't work that well, uh, given today's architecture. And you know, if so, for example, if you're deployed on AWS Lambda, it's it's expected not to have a long-lived connection. So you have to change the way that you architect your systems in order to use a WebSocket because so-and-so vendor doesn't have a webhook uh, that you can use as an alternative. So on uh, on that note, I'm curious. Uh, Tom, where are you folks deployed? How is your system uh, in terms of uh, webhooks architected to enable 
it, to, to enable yeah, asynchronous communication. Yeah. So again, actually, before that, I want to just like touch on one thing that you said. It's like web sockets are great as well, but they also are, you know, as you as you like alluded to, resource heavy. Either by like Lambda that doesn't even like expect it to keep it up, but also for the provider. And I think that kind of like segues to to like where we're deployed on like where we use, which is like webhooks are all about simplicity. They're maybe not the best solution. Like maybe you have like better, you can set this up and you're like this intricate system that is actually more efficient or better. But webhooks just make it so easy because it's exactly like consuming any other HTTP call. Um, and, and that's why they're like ubiquitous. Like we, we see it, you know, you, you mentioned the Bitcoin trades. We see it like with, you know, web, so-called web-free companies. We see it with traditional finance companies. We see it with logistics, with AI, all of those companies that have, you know, like nothing to do with each other. They're really like different customers, different everywhere, different space, different countries. But they're still the same way that they have REST API. They have like webhooks because that is just the easiest way to do it. And again, maybe there are better ways, but better is not always better. <laughs> Sometimes simple is better. <laughs> uh, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Big proponent of simplicity, definitely. Um just I think uh, in terms of I think I think Serki, you, you touched upon something there. I think you were you were asking a question. I think um could you could you just go back to that question? Yeah. So I'm curious, uh Tom, it's a little bit outside the world of APIs. Uh, your your SaaS application, SOSFIX, the SaaS where it's hosted, can you go a little bit into some of the thought that went into where it's deployed? Are you guys picking one of the major okay. clouds or is this an on-prem application? And then how have you decided to uh, deploy is this virtual machines or Kubernetes or something of the sort? Yeah, sorry, I completely misunderstood your previous question. Um, yeah, we're actually on AWS at the moment and on multiple regions. You know, one of the things that I think are really excited about or really important API products is like being deployed everywhere, or at least everywhere your customers are. You know, you want to decrease latency, you decrease the chance of uh, networking issues, and it just so happened that our you know, our first customers were like very heavy, like AWS EU, AWS US. So that's kind of like where we started, like build our base. And um, we're actually using ECS at the moment. It's not mm-hmm. Kubernetes, not any of those. Mm-hmm. It's honestly when we started, um, the Kubernetes on AWS had like a bad rep of like around reliability. <laughs> so we never like went that route. Mm-hmm. I know it's probably better nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have, because we're like an open source product as well, we have people doing on-prem. Uh, there it really varies. People, you know, like larger companies do um, like on, you know, on the metal um, or Kubernetes or really whatever uh, they want. So it really just differs. Yeah, thank you. That explains it. And the follow-up question to ECS. Uh, so for those who are unaware, ECS, uh, Elastic Container uh, Service, I believe, it's the ability to deploy containers without worrying about the underlying infrastructure and AWS will scale it for you and all that. Uh, how does that enable or prohibit the use of you delivering changes to APIs without uh, downtime or as much downtime as possible to your end user? So of course, VIX is, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, it's the your the people using VIX as a platform are mostly integrating with your APIs as opposed to the dashboard. So How are you delivering these changes? What does your release process look like? Is it daily? Is it monthly? And tell us a little bit about how you're able to deliver changes without impacting your API user base. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, we deploy a few times a day. Um, And we, you know, like the way the way we do it we just you know like normal health checks and then like kind of like you have like and we have like a lot of redundancy in the api workers 
Um, and then just, you know, as they go healthy, we replace them like gradually. I mean, it happens automatically, not actually me going and like clicking <laughs> buttons, <laughs> but uh, we replace them like as they go and become healthy. Um, as for like not impact, so that actually provide, offer, uh, gives us the ability to do zero and downtime in, in terms of deployment. In terms of breaking the API, we just really don't. Um, like we have a lot of regression tests, you know, like one of the most, you know, if, if you build an, a UI application, and you broke something, or maybe you changed something, it's very easy. Like the human will be frustrated, maybe like consider leaving you. I don't know, but like at the end of the day, they'll figure out like mm -hmm. how to do it better and how to do like how to do what they were after. Mm -hmm. With API, as you alluded to, it's not the case, right? If you change even the tiniest thing, you broke everyone. Um, and if you're down, it means your customers are down. Mm. So we just have a lot of regression tests to make sure that we just cannot even change a comma anywhere without like being fully aware of it and like making a conscious decision. Um, to be honest, I wish we could <laughs> like this, like we've made mistakes <laughs> like everyone, mm -hmm. um, but it's just now is not the time uh, to change it. So really just make sure to not change. Uh, We're in the exact same spot. So at Tyke, we have software that our companies depend on for their mission critical apps. And so we can't, it's a balance between backwards compatibility and being able to innovate as you alluded to. So tell us a little bit about say a typical use case that your customers would come to you with where you know Swix is the answer to that problem. Yeah, so as I mentioned, our customers are varied and across industries and across uh, locales, but you know, if, if we sum it all down or like we trim it all down to like one use case, it would be like just sending webhooks the same way that you go to Twilio for sending SMS and you go to SendGrid for sending uh, email. Uh, what they do with the webhooks or what their customers do with the webhooks, that really changes. Um, but it's still just sending webhooks. And the way it works is that they just use our API or our SDK um, and they you know do some like whatever integration, not a lot of integration actually. We really believe in like the Onion approach where you just like, the integration itself takes like two API calls, and then you can go deeper and like add more layers. Um, but once they've integrated, all they do is they send uh, messages to us, and we take care of the rest. Um, I forgot your second question. Sorry, Sedki, this no, is like it's... a. Uh, it's like <laughs> yeah, this, I'm rubbing <laughs> off on you. I yeah. so I can answer Buddha's second question with uh, a use case that Svix would have solved would solve very well. So. I worked with one client who is setting up a trader to, to buy assets from Bitcoin to index funds, whatever it is. And uh, so they place these trades using an automated system based off of the price levers that they set and when their price points get hit and all of that kind of stuff. So with, with, when, you, when you purchase an asset or uh, you don't immediately buy it as if you're buying something from a vendor, what you do is you're placing a bid and then if it if uh, somebody wants to sell it at your asking price, the order goes through. And so the system, it can generate or can place these bids using the broker's API. I don't think they'll mind me asking uh, or saying their name, Alpaca. I'm a very big fan of their financial APIs to, to purchase assets. Uh, it's very well documented, REST API, very easy to integrate with. They have SDKs, very similar to Zvix. And so placing the orders is via the use of REST APIs. Now, here's the webhooks part. Here's the part where webhooks can solve uh, an, a problem I have as a client. So placing the orders is the first bit. Now, how do we set up our system to react? So for example, the orders that we place, do they get 
filled or do they get uh, declined? Nobody wants to sell at my lowball asking price. And how are we notified of those changes? So with Alpaca, they have a WebSock listener, right? So I have to have a server that's always running, that's connected to their systems that will be notified about with events such as order filled or order declined. The better, in my opinion, I know Tom was very uh, generous. You're saying that uh, webhooks uh, do have their use cases, perhaps, but not in this example, uh, although for sure others. The better alternative to webhooks, which is a long-lived connection, is to, is to use a platform like Sfix or to roll your own webhooks so that Alpaca can notify me with a one-time message to my system. So I... Uh, yeah, thanks for letting me jump in there, Tom. I know this is your world, but this is a pain point that hit close to home that I wanted to share. No, I mean, I think this is exactly, and you know, like web web sockets. Like, I, I think the reason why they have web sockets is because they're great if you have this like UI that you kind of like really want to like ticker updated like in real time. But your use case, which is exactly what you said, like actually maybe your bid price is only going to be like uh, answered in two days. You don't want to like you know have like a two day long live connection just that does nothing. Um, so it's exactly that, uh, and exactly and that's why we exactly, exist. And that's exactly it, right? Because WebSockets, while they have their own place, I think the con over there is obviously you don't want to be leaving that connection open for way too long. And in some cases, you're actually prevented from doing that anyway. Um, so yeah, so so def definitely a better better um, alternative to that. And I think thank you so much for sharing that use case as well. I, hopefully that makes things a lot more clear in terms of where and how you would use perhaps APIs as well as webhooks at the same time and, and what that looks like in the wild. Um, one thing that, that Tom, you mentioned previously was is the idea of stability and the idea of reliability. And I think that's pretty critical when it comes to you know a trust in your system because when you talk about simplicity a lot of times people might misconstrue that as being oversimplified and therefore you're not doing enough to make sure that things are going to run fine because it feels too simple um so obviously there there needs to be a degree of trust that comes into it and therefore there's a degree of reliability that needs to be baked into it um so to tell us a little bit more about that aspect and how you make sure that your system is reliable from two aspects, potentially. One, reliability in terms of delivery of the message that needs to be delivered, as well as reliability from a security aspect. So let's let's talk about the delivery process first, the reliability that when things are going through your webhooks, things are going to reach the right people or right yeah. systems. Yeah, I mean, so first of all, thank you for clarifying that because we're definitely not simple in terms of like, you know, a few you know, rocks and sticks that just like you cannot trust. <laughs> it's really just the experience. Like we hide the complexity right. for you. Um, and in terms of, you know, like the reliable delivery, um, I mean, first of all, let's talk about the networking. Like we do retries for you, uh, you know, make sure that it's get getting where it's getting uh, with an exponential back off after a certain period. If it fails, we let our customers know so they can actually let their customers know that the delivery has failed. So like, we, we don't just give up. We give up, but let someone someone know to like actually take action on it. Um, so that's kind of like in that sense. And then the question is like, how do we make sure that you know that what we get is always uh, persistent and correctly? So we write everything to database. Like we're never ephemeral, even though it's like very tempting for a service like us to just like, well, you know, you get it. You're gonna like let's try before persisting to the database. Let's like first try the first attempt. And then see what happens. And after that, we can persist. Even though that's, again, much cheaper, much more efficient, all of those kind of things, we just cannot afford to do it um, because of reliability, which is our number one goal. Like, if we act 
a message, like we say, okay, we're gonna deliver it for you. That's it. That's our like a you know like a Catholic wedding. Like we're never gonna break this bond and um, <laughs> and yeah, and keep it keep it there. Um, and then you know like after that, um, you know we do our magic. We try whatever. We have like a lot of the infrastructure has like a lot of redundancies. You know like writing to multiple like replicas and like the date you know backups. All of those kind of things that are like long term. Make sure that you know our data can be trusted. And um, that's kind of like. Again, it was like very vague because I can bore you and like go in for like an hour long about like each <laughs> each part of it. We actually, I think, have a video where I did that, <laughs> uh, but I think that would I be a, a, a terrible use of our time. I have a quick follow up before Buddha answers the second part of his question. It's about webhook best practices. So, as a consumer of a webhook, would you recommend, in general, that my service receiving a webhook process the business logic synchronously before responding to? Uh, the webhook um, publisher, or would you uh, rather advise people to just uh, acknowledge that the webhook has been received, persist it, and then act on the business logic asynchronously? Yeah. So th the second one is the, what's considered best practice. But the, I mean, one more step, like verify the signature, like verify it actually makes sense, and then add it to a queue. Uh, but honestly, like as I said, like best practices are at best, but best is not always better. Um, so sometimes <laughs> if you like, you know, you're quick and you know, it's going to like, okay, maybe you're going to take a second, maybe you're going to take like two seconds, probably not the end of the world to just like do it synchronously. And gotcha. the problem is what happens if your database is down or something is down. So you need to have like this, like backup queue anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think people just go with a backup queue in the first place, um, which is again, much more efficient, much faster. You're not going to hog your API and, you know, like workers, like a lot of those kind of things, but it really just depends on who you are. Like the level of load that you handle, um. absolutely, and and I think that's that's something again speaks to reliability there. That you know your, your system needs to be built in such a way that you're you're ensuring that the delivery of the message is going to happen, regardless of you know you say power outages or system yeah. failures, and you've got that robustness built into that. And I think that's that's kind of what that importance is. And absolutely, you, you're speaking about you know making things simpler. I actually believe it's way simpler to create complex systems and it's way more complex to build simple systems. Right. It's always the case. So uh, something just because it's it's simple and you can get it done maybe one click or maybe two uh, doesn't mean that it is oversimplified in any way. I think there's a lot of work that's gone behind it. And I think that trust establishment through reliability is a very important thing, which leads us into the second part of that question, which which is about security. So how do you make sure that um, the the messages that are being sent or received in this case, um, that they are coming from the right sources, that they are, there's nothing malicious that's going on there, and they are reliable from the perspective of, you know, what you're receiving and where you're receiving it from. Yeah, so I mean, one, you know, when you think about what webhooks are, essentially, it's one of your customers comes to your website, puts a URL in, and tells you like, hey, please send messages to that URL. And there is no authentication involved. So anyone could be sending, if you know the URL, anyone could be sending messages to that. And so like what Slack and Discord have been doing is they kind of like embed a token in the URL essentially. And so kind of like have the security baked into that. That's fine. I mean, the problem, problem is that it leaks it in the logs. There are like a few like downsides for that. Um, but the, that's why the common way of doing it with webhooks is to sign all of the requests. Um, so actually, the payload is signed using a pre-shared key. Usually, you can do it also using asymmetric encryption, but that's a tangent. It's probably not. It's not that. I mean, it is common, but like it's it's not as good. I think like efficient really suffers uh, efficiency. Sorry, um, but you sign the um, sign the payload with a pre-shared key, and then it's up to the uh, receiver to verify it. 
Um, the problem is, and again, I can geek out about encryption for hours, but um, and encrypting, sorry, cryptography for hours. Um, but the problem with that is that now you have a signed message that is forever reliable. You can like, if a hacker, you know, like kind of like gets a signed message, they have no idea what's in it, but they just get like the signed payload. They can like keep on sending that. Um, and again, like to go back to Sedki's example, like keep on lying to you that this has not been fulfilled in order to, you know, in order to like get you to buy more or get you to not to buy at all, or uh, all of those kind of things. Um, and that's why you also usually uh, sign the timestamp as well, timestamp of the attempt. And as the consumer, you need to verify the timestamp. Um, and they're like, a lot more security issues like involved with webhooks, but those are kind of like the things that are involved involving the delivery itself. Um, Perfect. Um, I think I think I'm just being mindful of time, so we'll we'll see how it goes. But but really, the question, the curiosity over here yeah. is again, we are talking about things at scale, so products that are in 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 the stage where they are looking to achieve growth. So they obviously they've built an API-led product, they've had certain APIs, it's it's worked, they've got a product that are being used. Now they're expanding their bases to new users, new regions, potentially new offerings. So in that kind of a scenario, where would you say webhooks sort of come in? What would an ideal uh, workflow look like? Is it from an analytics perspective, monitoring perspective, security perspective? What what would that benefit B that is going to say, okay, I need webhooks today to power my growth tomorrow, or maybe even today. Okay. So you're talking about adding webhooks, to, like when should you add webhooks to your product? Yes. And what, what benefit would that bring when we talk about scalability yeah. specifically? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, first of all, there comes the efficiency question, right? I mean, like we see it with customers that they come to us and say like, well, our customers need to know about it in real time or in semi-real time, like changes to our platform. And what they do at the moment is just like pull our API a few times a second. And that's, you know, a few times a second is not a big deal. The problem is when you have a thousand, 10,000 of those people, a hundred thousand of those people, then it becomes like a very big deal. Um, and for services that really are just, you know, again, going back to uh, Alpaca, like going back to trading, you don't, I mean, you're not like a high-frequency trader. You're not like doing, you know, like a thousand sales a second. So it's fine to wait five minutes. And like, I mean, sorry, you're probably not going to have anything for five minutes and only then you're going to get a notification something happened. And in those cases, it really like that's really the efficiency gain. And I think, you know, the other aspect of it is that when you have webhooks, like similar to APIs, you enable people to build on top of your product. You enable them to build integrations. You enable them to like make it part of their workflows, like using no code, maybe like Zapier or Kato or Kato, like all of those, but also with code. Uh, so building add-on, building a CRM on top of Gmail, like I described earlier. And so like all of those really just make it so your product is more efficient, more um, sticky because like people already mm -hmm. built on top of it. Mm -hmm. The ecosystem is much richer because like you know, said keep built something and I'm going to reuse it. Um, and it, it really just like explodes in a, in, in a lot of different ways. I mean, probably you like have a think about your product and like, hey, are people gonna benefit from knowing when something happened programmatically? Or again, no code I consider programmatically. The answer is almost always yes. And in that case, you probably need to add webhooks. Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously like um, very much into webhooks. Like maybe just wait until like one or two customers mention it. But they probably, even if they don't, they want it. Um, this is like how they, you know, how they would build on top of your product. And absolutely, and that and you touched upon a really interesting point about ecosystems. And I think that's what where collaboration, not just internally within an organization, but also with systems and and solutions that are available that you might be able to plug into to actually make the most of it. 
And speaking of which, I think I think Seth, you had a really interesting point around uh, open telemetry. Right. My question essentially. So I saw that open telemetry is part of the of your stack. Taking a look at the open source repository for a fix there. So if you could just tell us a little bit about what open tele- telemetry does for your stack and and your platform and and how it, how you benefit from it. Yeah. So it's actually funny enough. It connects to like the previous question, which is ecosystem. Um. It really just, the moment you have something that people use, all of a sudden you have so much power and so much like ability to get like insights and get like all of those, essentially like you reuse other people's work. Um, not gonna lie, we started with like really terrible login <laughs> telemetry, <laughs> telemetry in the beginning. Um, and we still have it in like some of like our <laughs> microservices. And it really, I mean, we're not very microservices heavy, but we have a few still. And it really sees the difference. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I really want, like, it's really time to switch over because you see, you just like get a lot of insights because you have tools to actually crunch it. Um, and that kind of like where it really matters for us, like being able to get those insights and like, you know, knowing what's up and like how long th- things take and like where, you know, some context about the log um, instead of kind of like, you know, which again, like embarrassing to admit, but like what we're doing before is kind of like add, okay, this, you know, we need this identifier and this log. So kind of like search and replace and kind of like all the log lines in that uh, in that function. I mean, I know this is like very basic open telemetry usage, but it's really just the fact that like once you have the structure, like once you have experts that solve it for you, you really don't need to reinvent the wheel and like you really get all of the benefits and you and you get the benefits as you get better, right? I mean, like you maybe not going to get all the benefits on day one, but as you realize and you're like, get into more issues, you're going to, oh, there's probably a solution. Someone probably solved it. And then because you have everything else set up right, you're going to be able to use those tools. I hope that was, uh, that made sense. Yeah, it wasn't it like a tangent, so... excited rant. No, rant, sorry. <laughs> That's, I hope we can yeah. always get excited about technology. So it seems to me like there's two clear benefits from open tele- Number one is the uh, observability. So having an idea of what the pain points are and you, you can begin to gather data to optimize in a proactive nature. And then number two is the reactive bit. So it allows you to reactively debug or troubleshoot for a single API request or many API requests. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, like I I like to always give the comparison to UIs. We have all of these tools that record sessions, like give you all of that, like backtrace, like where it exactly happened. We don't have this context with APIs. So even just, you know, kind of like having a way to like group together like you know a session like a you know a set of api callers like exactly the, the flow that it went or trace the whole request like throughout your system and, like really those are very powerful and like save you in terms of you know like knowing what's up and mm. knowing where to optimize and what to do that's exactly what you said and while we're on the note of observability and reactiveness i remember the previous question regression testing i want to know uh, tom what is the percentage, generally speaking, of automated regression testing versus manual uh, manual testing in general? So, you mentioned that you do daily deployments, multiple uh, daily deployments, multiple times a day. You do multiple deployments a day. That wouldn't be possible, I imagine, without a suite of automated testing to give you some confidence that you're able to deploy. So, talk to us a little bit about that, please. Yeah, so I have very strong opinions there. I don't trust humans, and I'm a human as well, so I don't trust myself. Um, you know, if, if I had it out, makes me suspicious that he's a human, but keep going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah, and it, this is recorded, so I'm, I'm done for life. I'm made. But, uh, no, but, but, you know, like, 
I, I'm lazy, maybe not all the time, but maybe sometimes I'm lazy and I'm going to skim on tests. Like I cannot trust myself. So there comes to like two aspects. If I'm just like trusted to kind of know what to test and like do it, I'm going to mess up. Mm-hmm. If there's a list of things I need to test, then that's, you know, like a list of things that happen. It's kind of like, sounds like code. So might as well just encode it in an automated way. Uh, mm-hmm. And everything, I mean, we do test manually um, quite a bit, especially when it's like scary changes, mm-hmm. but it's more kind of like, witchcraft kind of like you know like um how do you call it like believing in uh you know you know what i mean kind of like it's, it's all really the scientific part the scientific part is that like i am absolutely <laughs> certain if the test suite passes i can deploy but we still kind of like for good for good measures. and how many environments do you have it's fixed for your SaaS applications is it the normal dev staging production and it's automatic between all of them what does that look like yeah, so I mean, obviously we have local development as well, uh, and then we have, you know, a dev environment which is kind of like free for all people, you know, just like abuse it to test against like real infrastructure. Then we have staging, which you know, after a test has been approved and like merged into main, it automatically deploys to staging. And we also run the full test suite against staging because like it's great. Okay, cool, it works locally. That's one thing, but does it work <laughs> with your load balancer or with your like all of those kind of things, which? Mm-hmm. You know, we've had it. Actually, we've had an issue there in the past that um, I, there's like a few standards of like how to do query parameters arrays, array and query parameters, and like AWS had a default that is different to the Open API default. Whatever, like just geeking uh... up. But we had an issue there, and, and that was caught um, thanks to that. And then the last thing is once like the test the test suite runs against staging, and like we do the manual testing, we're kind of like happy, and we just you know named employees so employees with like enough access can just like elevate. A deployment from staging to prod um so it always has to go through staging yeah great thank you for that cool all right um we are almost at time but there's something interesting that i i really have been itching to ask for a little while and we'll see how that all turns out um so when we talk about event driven apis or event driven communication there are a couple of things that we've touched upon today so there is obviously you've got web hooks as as one of the ways in which you can achieve that Perhaps a very, perhaps the simplest of the lot. Then you've got web sockets, which obviously you know you've got an open connection through you know bidirectional streaming, making that possible. But it has its complexities. And there's a third methodology that's come up, which is HTTP streaming, where you could batch. There is batching. There is server side events all being brought together. I think because of HTTP 2.0 protocol, which has enabled some of this stuff. And so. I'm just curious in terms of what your take is in terms of the future of event-driven APIs and how you see that panning out over the next few years. So you're obviously right now in, in the space of webhooks. Do you see that as being the dominant force still because of its simplicity and the power that it brings through it? Or do you see that there being a bit of a shift towards something like HTTP streaming? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, I think... You know, like going back to the example that we went, and thank you, Sethi, for like bringing that alpaca example because that kind of like stuck in, stuck in my head <laughs> in a good way. Um, you know, if, if you're doing something that is like very, you know, real time in the sense that it's like a, a customer is like at, looking at it now, then like server side events, web sockets, uh, like all of those like suite of technologies, they're great because they're like you maintain that live connection for a reason. Like you get this like updates all the time. I think like web hooks are where like how better if you have just like downtime, like most of the time it's just like quiet. There's nothing going on. I think that's like where webhooks shine. As for the future, you know, like we're, 
we're not a webhooks company in the sense that like we're not tied to the solution. Like if there's something else that comes back that comes up that is better, we're gonna definitely like support that. I think WebSockets, like server-side events, all of those are probably outside of our realm. And um, I think they're like great companies that do a great job there. We never, I don't think we, I don't see us ever going that uh, path. But if, for example, I don't know, like people use Kafka streams, for example, to stream information from like one service to another, maybe there's something there. I, I don't know. But like for now, we really, I think, and it's really just mostly about the simplicity. I think webhooks really win because you all, you know, you know, all know, like you guys know it best, right? <laughs> like you all know how, we all know how to accept HTTP requests and do something with them, um, which I think is kind of like where, where they shine. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that the, 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 there is a big, big area, an element of simplicity, I think that comes in because ultimately decomplexifying technology is what we are really after in most cases. I think we at yeah. Tyke as well, we try to do, well, not try to do, we hopefully we succeed in doing exactly that, where we are trying to simplify the the building of an API, not just building perhaps, perhaps the management of APIs, but more importantly, getting to production with an API and actually focusing on building your API products as opposed to getting all caught up in the implementation details or the administrative details and what all of that is going to look like and how that's going to happen, who's going to manage it, how it's going to you know pan out and maintained and the, the investment that needs to go in. So there is, there is a definite, definite uh, benefit to simplifying some of these things and then making life a little bit easier because you ultimately what you want to really focus on is that business logic of your application. You want to focus on stable grounds to enable that innovation that you are really wanting uh, to achieve as an organization. So I think absolutely, I'm, I'm completely with you. I, I, I definitely would have a curious eye on some of the other technologies out there because I'm just an enthusiast. But at the same time, I think uh, love the simplicity of webhooks and, and what they have accomplished through it. Uh, any parting comments, um, Tom, about this discussion, especially for people who might be Considering webhooks, I'm pretty certain most of the world are familiar with them. They might be using it almost unknowingly in some cases. But if they mm -hmm. were to, you know, think about webhooks for their own stack, do you have, say, one quick takeaway, something that is a do and maybe something that's a don't for them to get started? Yeah, I mean, first of all, the do is just do it, add webhooks. But uh, <laughs> in terms of the do, you know, it's kind of like, like any API, I think. If you cannot, and you talked about reliability a few times, and it's because why the reason why you brought it up is because it's important. If I cannot rely on your webhooks, I'm not going to use them. Um, so again, like going back to Setki's example, sorry, Setki, this is like <laughs> such a good one, <laughs> is that if I if I miss those webhooks, I would not be making those trades, and I'll be losing a lot of money. Um, okay. So like, they, I need to know that they're going to arrive. They're going to arrive on time. They're going to arrive reliably. So just make sure that you know if you add webhooks. I mean, first of all, surely use fix, but if you don't use fix, that's fine as well. But just make sure that you're like up to a certain standard of reliability that your customers can really trust it. Um, and I guess like the don't, you know, one thing that I see, um, like one of the hardest, I think, areas like for a lot of engineers is security. Um, because like normally, if you have a bug, usually it's very easy. Like it's not going to work. Someone is going to find out. With security, it's kind of like the lack of something that like where issues happen. Like it's something that you haven't expected. And um, so one thing I would advise people against is to try to reinvent the wheel when it comes to like webhook signatures. Uh, we actually our our libraries are open source. Please go ahead, like use them. Our docs are open source. Please copy paste them and use them on your own thing. Like you don't need to give us credit. And um, but it's just so you don't introduce any security issues by doing like crazy stuff with the signing. I think that's like the biggest don't. Perfect. 
Thank you so much. This has been a phenomenal conversation all about webhooks, APIs, event-driven approach to your product-led growth problem. Uh, thank you so much, Tom. And thank you so much, Sedki. For all the listeners out there, if you enjoyed this episode, definitely rate, like, comment. And uh, if you enjoyed the podcast overall, then definitely feel free to subscribe and let us know what you think as we work towards potentially a next season coming soon. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And uh, until next time, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of All About APIs, powered by Tyke, a leading cloud-native API management platform for the modern stack. So come, empower your teams and put your devs in the driver's seat. If you want to find out more, visit us at tyke.io. And until next time, take good care of yourself.